0: What's up, guys? Welcome to another edition of the Build Show Podcast. I'm your host, Matt Reisinger, coming to you from the Rockwell Studios here in Austin, Texas. And I have a really cool guest with me today. In fact, the newest member of the Build Show Network, Lydia Crowder. Now, if you don't know Lydia, you probably have seen her on Instagram. You didn't even realize it. She's Drywall Shorty on Instagram. She's a drywall contractor in bozeman and we've got a really fun podcast with you today we're going to dig into lydia's background her history how she got started in the trade a little bit about her and her husband and their german shepherds We might even jump into her kids as well so you can really get to know her today's build show all about drywall shorty let's get going Let me introduce you to Lydia. Lydia, thank you so much for taking some time uh, with me today. You are the newest contributor to our Build Show Network, and I am incredibly, incredibly uh, blessed to have you join our network, Lydia. Uh, you're coming to us from uh, from your house in Bozeman, is that right?
1: Yeah, that's right. At yeah, Bozeman, Montana.
0: And and Lydia, for those of uh, us on the uh, on the audience who don't know you, tell us your background. You're a drywall contractor in Bozeman, but how long have you done this trade? How'd you get started? Uh, you know, give us give us the uh, the fifteen minute or the ten minute version of uh, year zero to today.
1: Definitely. So I've been drywalling for eighteen years now. Um, wow. I started when I was eighteen. I, went to, I graduated high school, kind of goofed around, went to college for a semester, flunked out miserably, um, and was like, okay, that's definitely not, not my scene. <laughs> so my dad, um, my dad has a drywall company, and I would help him during the summers when I was a kid, scrape floors, spot screws, do you know, super simple tasks. And my roommate at the time and my cousin both worked for my dad. Too. So it was kind of like a family business.
2: That's awesome.
1: Um, and yeah, it was really cool. It was a great learning, a great environment to learn in. In um, Bozeman. Yeah, in Bozeman. So we moved up here when I was ten. So I've been up here for twenty-seven years.
2: Yeah, you've
0: been there a while. Now I have yeah, a little bit. Grown a, a lot. I have a little bit of a Bozeman uh, background. I've been there a couple of years, uh, or a couple of times, I should say, because I have a uh, a brother-in-law who lived there. But for those of you who don't know Bozeman, this is a fairly northern uh, Montana, pretty cold, uh, harsh winters. In fact, my brother-in-law worked uh, on a stucco EFIS crew for two or three years uh, outdoors in the weather. It's a it's a rough environment uh, for anybody in the construction trades. Uh, Is that still true? Would you say for for drywall, which we think of typically as a fairly sheltered? um trade where you oftentimes even have maybe some temporary heat or some temporary um conditioning going on in the winter time
1: yeah i mean we definitely we always have to have heat you have to have a can't freeze so we usually like our jobs between 55 to 60.
2: Mm-hmm. we don't
1: use propane propane puts out too much moisture so we only use electric heat but even then we had days where it's like negative 30 and as much heat as you're pumping in there, you still have ice on the windows. You're working, freezing cold. You have to carry your mud buckets in. That can kind of be an interesting workaround when it's really cold, when Mm -hmm. you're bringing supplies, because if they're in the back of your truck and you drive for five minutes, they freeze. So um, that's always an interesting workaround. And then trudging through the snow because there's no driveways, nobody's shoveled anything, nothing's plowed. Um, so it kind of turns into a freezing cold, muddy mess pit.
0: Yeah. And, and, you know, it's something that I don't have to deal with at all in Texas, which yeah. is thinking about what do I do with my stuff at night? Right. You know, if, if you're yeah. moving stuff, uh, whether it's adhesives or drywall mud or paint or primer or whatever, you can't leave that in the truck at night. Cause it's going to freeze. Right. Or maybe even before, before overnight, it's going to yeah. freeze.
1: Oh, yeah, and sometimes when it's really cold, we'll make sure we put our tools in the cab and then have the heat on so that they're not in the bed freezing. Um, yeah, it's definitely a little bit more to think about. You kind of have to be aware of your temperatures. If it's going to freeze, we bring everything inside into the garage, and then if it gets even colder, then we bring it inside the house and put it in front of the heater. Yeah. So um, you don't want to show up with frozen tools. It happens, but it can kind of ruin your day and definitely slow things down for your progress when you – can't use anything because you're, you know, beater bars frozen in your bucket. So yeah, that's right. It's definitely, it's definitely it can be challenging.
0: Yeah. So you got to start at a young age, having grown up with a dad who is in the trade. And it sounds like you then also get started as a fairly young adult into the trade. 18 years later, what's your, you know, for those, uh, listening to this podcast, Lydia, that are, that are in the, uh, kind of high school to post high school age, what's your advice uh, about learning a trade or getting into the trade. You know, my dad was not in construction, uh, and so I had to learn from uh, from others and kind of make my way into construction. Um, what, is your, what would your advice be now that you're in your 30s and you've been doing this 20 years to those that are kind of in that age bracket of trying to figure out, hey, I think I might be interested in, in a career in construction?
1: Yeah. Um, I would say definitely check around... Uh- What's really cool is there's a local construction company here that's been offering kids to come and work and try it out. So they are offering like scholarships, internships.
2: that's awesome. It's really,
1: really cool. And their pay is great and they're like flexible hours. We work with your school. So that's incredible. And I think especially, you know, when I was growing up, we had a lot of college kids work for us. They would come and they would work weekends, nights, uh, just kind of do pickup stuff. So Mm -hmm. if you're looking into getting into the trades, don't just kind of offer yourself as that person that can be available maybe those odd times or is okay working weekends or you're all right going on a Saturday morning and cleaning up the job site before everybody shows up. Mm -hmm. Um, Just be there and soak everything up and learn because you're not going to walk on there and be the, the top dog. It just doesn't happen. You have to work your way up. You have to do all the hard stuff. You have to, you know, go get everybody coffee, whatever it may be. Yeah. So just yeah just be there and learn and don't give up. Yeah. You're not going to get it right away. I think a lot of people expect to have immediate success. And as you know, construction is not about immediate success.
2: No, it's it's,
0: it's, a, it's a long term. That is for yeah. sure. Lydia, I'm curious now that you're in your th- in your 30s, you know, your your profession is not really all that different from a professional athlete uh, who's got to take care of themselves because you're relying on your body your movements, uh, your skill, your art, uh, to make a living. Uh, you know, you're not just sitting at a desk somewhere in, uh, in the 47th floor of an office building where you don't have to move all day. What do you do at this age in your life? Uh, asking for a friend here, uh, <laughs> slash myself to, <laughs> to self care, to make sure that your athlete's, uh, body, those joints, those knees uh, are, are, uh, well cared for so that you're able to get done what you need the next day.
1: Honestly, it's something I wish I would have started when I was younger hmm. because we all know that we're young. We push our bodies. We don't take certain precautions and then you start getting older and you're like, Oh, this is actually starting to hurt now. Yeah. So, um, I've been really fortunate. I haven't had any carpal tunnel, any major injuries. Um, I've been pretty lucky. Mm-hmm. My husband has had two carpal surgeries done, and then mm. he's also had a thumb fusion, but I think that was from an older injury. But, um, you know, we know guys that have had to have their shoulders redone. And I think what happens, and I think it's just part of the trade in the industry, is you wind up sacrificing your body for meeting schedules. Mm. And what happens is, yeah, you, you have to make that schedule. You might be totally exhausted. Your body is so sore, but that schedule has to get met. So I think set, setting personal boundaries for yourself of I'm not going to do this or, um, all right, I pushed through that job, but now I I seriously need to take a break and I need to go do some massage therapy, some physical therapy. I need to take care of myself mm-hmm. and just setting those boundaries and not letting yourself just abuse your body for the, the purpose of meeting someone's schedule.
0: That's really smart. That's great advice. I had, uh, I had dinner last night with uh, one of the carpenters that has done some work on <laughs> your german shepherds are saying hi to dad coming at the door aren't they oh
1: goodness do you want me to, to mute it for a second oh no, you're good it's they awesome. are there. okay
0: everyone everyone listening to this either has a dog or had a dog and uh, and <laughs> oh, loves God. that uh sound of of the greeting of somebody coming home oh, no big goodness. deal
1: they're crazy
2: <laughs>
0: um so uh to finish my story i had i had dinner with this carpenter who's actually a german born carpenter uh really neat guy trained in Germany uh worked in the UAE United Arab Emirates for a couple of years met his uh Iranian wife in the UAE and then emigrated to the US a couple of years later he's a really a terrific carpenter he's probably not too uh far from your age you know early mid 30s let's say and i always noticed that he wears a crossfit shirt uh and I, and i said to him hey when do you go to crossfit i'm just curious you know you've got a really physical job as a carpenter uh, I, you don't normally think of a carpenter having necessarily time in their schedule. And he said, you know, it's interesting, Matt, when I, when I first started doing CrossFit, I would do it in the morning cause I'm most fresh in the morning, but then I'd go to work and I'd be whipped <laughs> by the end of the day. Cause I would use all this energy and then I still had to, to keep it up during the day. And it, it this is an interesting crossover and I'm, I'm getting around to you in this, uh, in that, you know, most of the carpenter jobs that he's had, uh, were hourly paid jobs, not, um, not, by the job, let's say. And he did tell me though, that he's really switched to going to nighttime and he only does it two or three times a week. Uh, so it's not like he's, he's, uh, you know, getting after it every single day. But typically when I think of your trade, Lydia, I'm thinking of, uh, not necessarily hourly pay, uh, at least not as the boss anyways. Um, but per job, and that's where probably that rush uh, to, hey, if I, if I accomplish 25% more today and get this job done, I'm going to get out of here sooner and I can get to the next job, which means my paycheck might go up by 20 or 25%. How do you balance that need for schedule, for speed, uh, and also uh, uh, you know your, your pay is dependent on how much output you get with making sure that you're you're caring for yourself
1: yeah and that that's the struggle um it really is because you can't care for yourself if you're not making money so you have to make sure you're meeting those deadlines and yeah all of our work is piece work or square footage work so if we don't show up and we don't get anything done then, then we're really behind so um I think for me, and as I've learned as I've gotten older, is setting realistic expectations first thing when you walk on the job. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, talking to the builder, being like, "Hey, I might need an extra day or two on this, or this schedule's really tight. I'm not going to be able to meet this," and making sure you're putting your physical health above everything, because with our bodies, if we get hurt, your period is not going to be making money. mean That's right. You hurt something, you break something in a rush, um, you know, and injuries happen. We've had guys fall off stilts, fall off ladders. You need to be giving yourself ample time to finish and not stressing out so much that you're making stupid mistakes too.
0: 100%. 100%. It's funny you mentioned the the stilts. Uh, you know I, I've seen you on them I've seen so many I've been in the business 25 years or so I've seen so many people on stilts but every I've never personally been on them and every time I see them I always wonder did you fall 10 times before you got so proficient with those what's What's the learning curve on uh, on stilts
1: so I think I've probably fallen in total all my years of wearing them maybe four times.
0: That's pretty. So that's pretty low.
1: It yeah, they're they're actually really safe. Um, you just have to think of you're just taking exaggerated steps, so you don't want to be like dragging your feet. You need to make sure you're picking your feet up, and they're heavy. They're about I want to say they're about mm, seven to ten pounds Ooh, per stilt. So that's it's pretty like good wearing, leg workout. Yeah, it is. It's like wearing weights on your legs all day. Yeah. So. You get used to your stride. You just have to take really big steps. Um, And I always tell people when they first start, start someplace where you can touch the ceiling. So don't like jack them all the way up and go try and do like a 12-foot ceiling. Mm -hmm. Start at eight foot. Have your stilt set where you can touch the ceiling. So then that way, if you're feeling wobbly or unsure, you can put your hand up, balance yourself. Don't go in like a big, wide open area when you first start. Stay small. That way you can lean against the walls, the ceilings, and uh, kind of catch yourself and then get your bearings.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: But, um, yeah, sometimes you fall. Thankfully, I haven't had anything major. They've all been just – I've been able to catch myself some up before I fall and hit the floor, but <laughs> it does happen.
0: The taller you are, the harder that floor yeah. hits, too.
1: I know, right? Like, it does.
0: Even though it's only been four times, you don't need a fifth. Be careful, my no. friend. Be careful. Oh, I know, right? <laughs> tell me uh for you know i've got a fair amount of builders that uh that listen to this podcast uh i'd like i'd like for you to to uh kind of speak to the builders in the room that are hiring you and your colleagues that are in your trade give us uh your kind of top couple things uh that we could learn that would make your job better and easier and safer that would ultimately lead to better jobs and longer lasting relationships between your trade and and mine. Can does anything or any couple things immediately pop oh, to yeah. mind?
1: <laughs> yeah, definitely. And drywall is funny because I feel like it's very underappreciated, but we're the ones that come in and finish your walls and your ceilings. We know mm. the pretty stuff most of the time gets put over the top, but man, like I feel like we get overlooked a lot and we get rushed because we're kind of at that phase where we're getting to the finishing schedule and we want to get the walls up. We want to get the drywall done so we can start putting in cabinets, flooring, tile, all of those things that everybody wants to see done. Mm -hmm. But it's not, you know, when there's a bad drywall job, you walk in and that catches your eye first thing. You might not know that the cabinets aren't completely leveled, but you'll know that that drywall job is bad. Oh yeah. So I would say giving us time, um, We get, sometimes the schedules are really, really tight. So we're not able to give you that perfect product that maybe you're expecting because we're getting pushed so hard to get everything done because the cabinet installers start in two days. Mm -hmm. So when you're scheduling for the drywaller, just be in communication, maybe give them a couple extra days, sometimes depending on humidity, heat, weather, stuff won't dry. And honestly, we have no control over that. It's all just humidity, moisture, kind of how the how the cookie crumbles so give us time um another thing don't start scheduling people while we're still in there, there mm. we've been in many jobs where the towel guys in there and if you're in that area we can't get in that area that's right same thing with cabinets uh don't start installing cabinets don't have your cabinet guys come in we're gonna trash <laughs> them as hard as we try we just uh, it's bad idea it seems
0: and, obvious but this is definitely something I you've know, experienced isn't it, doesn't it?
1: Oh yeah, we just did a job two <laughs> weeks ago where the cabinets were in. We're like, "What are you what doing? What are you doing? No!" Oh, it was a like, wow, that one was a mess. Um,
0: Rookie builder so, mistake,
1: right? Oh, not only that, but it makes you it makes like we're like, "What are you doing? Do you know what you're doing? No." We lose confidence in you as a builder too no, when they you don't. do these things, and they we're don't. like, "Yeah." Um clean out your garages if you want them done don't Mm. start having all of your trim package your garage doors well during the winter it's actually better for us if you have the garage door installed Mm -hmm. if you don't make sure you have plastic up ample heat um it's different here because a lot of our our job depends on heat during the winter is that a
0: bear to finish around all those drywall struts and all that stuff though i mean i use i mean this is hard for me because i'm used to building in texas although i got my start in pennsylvania or actually in dc Um, which is a much colder climate. But, you know, I'm always thinking, you know, keep everything out of the house, keep everything off where you just said, hey, I actually would like to have that garage door on so I can keep some heat in that area.
1: Yeah. In the winter, usually they'll have the doors, it'll be hung and then the doors are installed pretty quickly after. If not, um, they'll put the really heavy builder grade plastic on and Mm -hmm. then have it sealed up tight because that's a major heat loss, especially if you don't have a um, you know, a garage door in, you don't have a shop door in, anything like that. All of our inside heat from inside will be going to the garage, which then makes it harder to keep the house warm.
0: Yeah. Oh, yeah, that's so interesting. So sealed thought,
1: up as you can have it.
0: I hadn't thought about that. You could, I guess, in theory as a builder, have a couple sheets, uh, even smaller sheets of drywall on the job just install those where the, um, you know, the garage door is mounting to the framing, let's say, and then you could use like trim text, board or something, uh, when you butt up to that, have you ever done that before? Or is that, uh, is that kind of usual practice in Montana?
1: Uh, you know, what's funny, I've never actually run into butt board on a job. I oh, don't really? know if anybody, yeah, I don't know if anybody uses it, which is weird. Hmm. Um, but yeah, sometimes they'll put like a piece of sheetrock up and then just kind of put the doors in. It depends on the schedule, but most of the time, um, some days we'll start and then the doors get put in about two days after during the winter. They try and keep up with it pretty decent, but they also need to have it insulated. We don't start in the winter if it's not insulated. So you have so much heat loss into your attic and you're just fighting, fighting the cold. So there's definitely some stipulations that, just learning from experience too. like nope not starting that yet
0: so in other words you might hang just the lid on the second floor and then have the blow crew come in blow that yeah. attic insulation and then you'll come back and, and start finishing drywall
1: definitely or, or hanging yeah. the rest of the house even mm-hmm. yeah and then we usually let it sit depending on how cold it is if it's going to be really freezing like negative 20 we let it sit for a day or two with the attic blown and all the drywall insulated twenty. we start yeah <laughs> yeah, the, we had, I think last year, we were working on a monster house, and it was like negative 30 to negative 40, oh and it was my
2: gosh.
1: a big house. That's it stayed crazy. warm. We had enough heat in there, but
0: yeah. So you're using electric resistance heat. What kind of heaters are these? I guess I've never seen these machines.
1: Big yellow ones. Um What is the brand? I can't think what the brand is. They must be They're like really...
0: 50 amp breakers and that sort of thing. Yeah
1: yeah exactly so when it comes to winter the electrician will always put in a 50 amp breaker
2: mm-hmm. usually
1: where the um stove goes okay so they'll put in a 50 amp there or if there's no power in the house they'll have to run temp heat yeah so kind of just depends but some builders also have their own like hvac kind of mm-hmm. like just big blocks of hvac and they'll bring those in
0: yeah yeah we do that too um but our concern is usually more summertime heat yeah, uh, yeah. And what do you guys do for that? Yeah, I mean, it's 95 and 80% humidity on a lot of days. So yeah. my house under construction currently here in Austin, uh, it probably was close to 100 today. I'm looking at my watch to see if I can Oof. see the temp. It was probably 97, 98 degrees. I have two portable air conditioners that are running in my house, one that's in my uh, conditioned garage with the door open and a fan to blow into the house, and then I have another one upstairs in my daughter's uh, bedroom. And we're able to keep the house below 80, um, but that's the, nice. but the key too, is that lowered humidity, which is huge so that, you know, for instance, my painter that's painting in there now isn't painting in a high humidity environment, which he's never going to get a great paint job for me if that's the case. And then we also have a fair amount of portable dehumidifiers that I own. Uh, mm-hmm. so on the other side of this wall, opposite the camera, I've got a warehouse space and I have about 10, uh, industrial industrial-sized dehumidifiers, like the kind that the, uh, the water damage restoration mm-hmm. guys would own. And we'll use those a lot during construction uh, to make sure that we're bringing the humidity down uh, in the house. And oftentimes in the fall and the spring, it's fairly temperate out. Uh, the windows will be thrown open during the day. We'll shut it down at night. We'll put the dehumidifier on that'll help dry our, uh, you know, our, our finished coats of drywall. If we're in the, you know, the, in the block phase or some heavy phase where there's a lot of mud going on the walls. Uh, but also we're, you know, trying to stock hardwoods in the house Uh, at least a week prior, and then making sure that those hardwoods are acclimating. But I'm a huge fan of conditioning the house during construction so that, for instance, your trade really is able to get a a good job to not have to wait days between coats. Uh, And I can imagine that's really hard for you uh, to make money if you're letting a house sit for three days uh, because it's really humid. Like, you know, you don't always have another job lined up, so you may be sitting home not making a dime for two or three days while you're waiting on a job site to dry or because there wasn't good temporary heat or dehumidification.
1: Yeah. We've gotten to the point where we're just really communicative with the builders. Like, especially if their foreman stops by, we'll be like, this isn't enough heat. We'll just like flat out be like, Nope, you need to get space heaters work out pretty well too. They're kind of like that nice dry heat. So we'll use space heaters, um, little red guys, little 220 heaters. And then the really big ones, that are the big yellow heaters. I can't think of the name of the brand, but um yeah, we try and, and depending on the house, sometimes there's three to four different zones going on with heaters. So um we'll also usually crack a window, try to get some of that mm-hmm. moisture out there because when you're pumping heat and then you have a lot of moisture in your product, then you start to get moisture buildup. So kind of a game sometimes, depending on how everything's going yeah. <laughs> with what you're doing on the job. So it's definitely a day by day thing, but if it's wet, yeah, we can't touch it. So.
0: And you, and you touch. Th- the builders
1: th- want to keep going.
0: For sure. And you touched on this earlier, but I want to bring it up again because not everybody knows this. Propane heat, when you use propane to heat a house. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, when I started in the construction trade in the 90s, uh, the builder I was working for, I would lug 100-pound propane bottles next to the house. We'd run a line mm-hmm. in the house, and there'd be these propane heaters that we called salamander heaters. Uh, yeah. Some people use torpedo heaters, which is basically the same thing. There's a big propane flame in there. Some kind of a fan to blow it. And they produce a ton of BTUs. But, Liddy, you mentioned this uh, earlier. They also provide gallons and gallons of water to the house when they fire. That propane tank has a lot of water in it. So you're not actually helping your uh, humidity. You're raising your humidity. And I remember those houses that I was building in the 90s in the wintertime in D.C., (laughs) they would often have windows that were just dripping (laughs) with water Uh, because the house was like at a hundred percent humidity, uh, cause yes, it was heated, but it was so humid that it would take a ton of time for that dry one to dry.
1: Yeah. And what we found too, is that humidity it's, and, and just propane is not a very efficient heat source. Mm-hmm. It's very inconsistent. You're working with this big giant open flame that's putting out whatever heat it decides to at the moment. Yeah. Um, And then you had the hassle of filling propane tanks and making sure that everything's okay. So, we've noticed though, with the propane, it causes a lot of cracking. So, Mm -hmm. on jobs where we've had issues, we're like, wait, what happened? Oh, that's right. It was propane. Yeah. So, um, we just don't even touch it anymore. It's just, it's not suitable for the phase that we're at. Hanging, Mm -hmm. it's fine. I mean, you're just, it's just flinging up drywall boards. They're not going to get hurt by that. But when it comes to the finishing stage, it needs to be dry electric heat yeah and you have to keep it heated throughout the whole process you can't yeah. just be like drivel's done gonna turn off the heat now because once you do that then you're allowing a lot of cold air into your job which then can cause you know expansion contraction and then cause cracking and truss lift and issues like that down the line also
0: totally totally so, yeah lydia what's your uh, your dogs are saying hi to us too in the podcast i appreciate that uh <laughs> what's your favorite drywall finish We're ch- we're switching gears here um, that looks like, le- really, it looks like level five behind you right there. And then I'm seeing on the it's wall. It's actually
1: a swirl. Is That's it swirl really? Right? Oh, yeah, I can't. Everything I... here is swirl. Interesting. It's, it's so popular. Yeah. Um, my favorite would probably be like a plaster like finish. We have this mm. kind of like faux plaster finish that we do. It's really pretty. That one's probably my favorite. Cause it, it um, who makes it that smooth. Oh, what? we just do it. It's with a, our control. Okay.
0: Is it a special bagged mix though that you're using for that? Is as the as no, the file? no,
1: we're just using like USG plus three or USG B2X Red All Purpose Light.
0: Okay, interesting. But how is that but different they have from to a paint le- after? Yeah, but how so, is that different yeah. from a level five smooth then?
1: The so level five smooth is going to be like your top of the line, absolute best. Mm-hmm. Um, level five smooth, I think, is beautiful. We've done a couple jobs, and they're usually very high end. So I think that's kind of the the playoff there too is who can afford it. And when you start getting into those prices, there's a lot of people are like, no, 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 that it can look semi smooth. That's fine. Right. Um, but yeah, the level five is the Yellowstone club houses, um, super big, open, modern houses is usually when we run into that. And that's like, yeah, you're not, you should not be seeing any imperfections at that phase. That wall should look totally beautiful and flat.
0: Yep. Uh, I'm a huge level five guy uh yeah. i got my start in washington dc where level four was what everybody did and we just painted yeah. it at level four uh and then when i moved to portland oregon for a couple years in the early 2000s nobody did anything there but orange peel uh yeah. even on the like, multi-million dollar houses like it was like no one even knew what level five smooth was uh and then um when i moved here to texas uh, everything in the 70s and 80s with popcorn ceilings uh, yes. and there was a, a, a various orange peel uh, kind of range from heavy to light um, but when I moved here a lot of the high end uh, builders you know this is now 15-16 years ago we're starting to move towards uh, level 5 and, uh, and so that's typically what I've done the most of the last few years is all 5-8 sheet rock and then go into a level 5 uh, and we've done a couple different methods for getting there, you know, for a couple of years there, we used, um, uh, an armor hide product. Are you familiar with that? Okay, yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah. Th-
1: like a spray on level five kind of a product.
0: Yeah. It was like a spray on trowel down kind of version. Okay.
1: What do, what yeah. do you
0: think about that?
1: Um, have I you think done that's great. I'm, um, I haven't, we've used high build. Okay. So if we are doing a smooth, um, and I think the tricky part is, is you need to make sure your painter knows how to paint a smooth wall because mm-hmm. we've seen painters come in and you need to be burning the walls in between your paint coats. And I'm hoping most painters know what that means. Cause you drywall, I'm not, you I'm not sure I know what
0: that means. Will you, will you explaining yeah. that
1: to us? Oh yeah, for sure. So for us, sometimes we would prime our own smooth walls just to make sure everything turned out nice. But if you're doing just a level four, you're going to have dust from, you know, from your sanding on your flats, your butts, your screws. And when yep. you paint, that's going to be a different texture. You're going yeah. to have like little raised pieces of paint. So you prime if you're not back rolling, even if you are back rolling, most of the time we spray on our prime coat. Then you need to come back with a sanding pole and go over all of your walls and pretty much burn it down and get rid of all of that sand that's on the walls that's left over. Got it. So then you're starting with like super smooth. Um, paint, and then you're not having any imperfections show back up. So we call that burning down the walls is what burning we call it. Burning down the walls.
0: Uh, that, that brings an interesting point. So you're really talking more like a level four there, right? Where, yeah, that would be where, level four. And and for those of you in the audience, we're, we're talking uh, trade gobbledygook here, but there's le- there's basically levels one through five of the drywall finish. A lot of you probably know this, so sorry to, to go over this if you don't know already. Uh, But ones being the lowest level where you basically have hung the drywall and you fire taped it. You often see that in garages and basements and secondary spaces. And then levels two and up are are usually taking it to a block coat and then a skim coat. Uh, And then level five, you typically have some version of skimming the whole wall so that you don't have a difference in texture between uh, the drywall mud and the paper facing. Did I explain that in kind of builder layman terms adequately?
1: Yep. Yeah. Yeah. And I think people forget that the the drywall board has texture. It's made of recycled paper. And then our mud is really smooth. Mm-hmm. So when we're getting up to those level four coats, your mud is really, it's really soft and it's really smooth and it has a very different texture than the paper. Yeah. So when you go to paint, you're going to see that difference, especially on highlight. Like a lot of areas that have a lot of light mm-hmm. or if you're going with a very dark, shiny paint. So you definitely need to be communicating too if you're coming in to finish, um, you know, communicate with your builder about what the finishes are going to look like, because it might be fine level four in, you know, the hallway or a dark area. But if you have a lot of light on a wall and it's a like a highlight area, you should probably go ahead and level five that just to cover and make sure that you're not having to then come back and do it later after the painters paint and you can see every single seam on your wall. That's a really good That's a
0: really good tip. I never thought about that, Lydia, where I where I could yeah. say to you, hey guys, you know, this area has raking light. Let's go level five here, but everything else, uh, you know, in these yeah. bedrooms with these kind of normal windows, probably fine level four. That's a cool tip. That could that yeah. could that could give somebody the uh the kind of level five smooth they need in the areas, but not have to spend the money and your time, frankly, getting to level five everywhere when
1: it's not necessary. Yeah, exactly. Because I mean, if you have floor-to-ceiling windows and you have a lot of light exposure coming in, it that's an area you're going to want to level five. Um, so we've done that quite a few. We'll have a level four, but we'll be like, man, that that area gets a lot of light, so we'll just go ahead and level five it and take care of it because we know later when it's painted,
2: you're going to see you're going to be
1: able to see all that difference. So um, yeah, just something as a, as a contractor and a drywaller that you could communicate about, like, I really think we should maybe take this area, or if you have a big feature wall where you're going to have some artwork on display with a lot of lighting going on, um, those are always good areas to level five too.
0: That's really smart. I like that. Yeah. Lydia, I got another question for you for, uh, for, for you as the representative drywall tradesman talking to me, the representative builder for all the builders listening to this, what advice can you give us? Uh, I don't typically bid my jobs to multiple people. But a lot of builders do what advice can you give us on finding uh, a really good uh, drywall contractor and maybe even interpreting uh, between bids you know this is true for every trade but i'd love you i'd love your take on hey if you get two or three drywall contractors here's things you could ask them or here's things that you might look for in the uh, in the bid they present you is there any of that advice you could give me as a builder uh, kind of nationally thinking about choosing drywall contractors.
1: Definitely. I would say first off, don't go with your cheapest. 100%. Um, I think we all know what kind of, what's going to happen with that. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I just did an Instagram post about how we clean out all of our boxes. We vacuum and scrape our floors. We leave a clean job site mm. and, What's sad is the amount of people that are like, I have never seen that in 15 or 20 years. (laughs) For me, my mind is blown because I was taught that's the way you do it. You clean up your mess and you leave a tidy job site. So when you're going for that cheapest guy, there's no promise you're going to end up with a nice, clean, tidy job site at the end. You might end up with a hot mess. And if you have bad drywall. It's way harder to fix it once it's done than it is to start with it right. So I would say, first off, don't go with your cheapest. Second, I would say make sure when you're getting your bids that you're making clear on whether or not they're packaging, hanging and taping and finishing together, or if it's just a hanging bid or just a taping bid, especially if it seems really low Mm -hmm. and might just be for one or the other. Um, Most guys, like we finish, but we... Have hangers that are in our bid price so we know at our price we're fine we have enough money to pay the hangers and uh, and make money on top of it so make sure that you're getting if you if you want it separate that's totally fine but most of the time everybody's packaged together
2: yeah
1: um also drywall who will be supplying the drywall board Mm
2: -hmm. make
1: sure you communicate effectively because they might not have that priced in there and you think they do or they might have it priced in there and you think they don't so most of the time the builder supplies the board that, oh interesting that can different than that my market vary. yeah yeah and see like i said it's totally different so you might get a weird beard fit from us and you're like wow that's really low but we're not supplying the sheetrock
0: yeah interesting. and that's
1: going to make a big difference
0: any uh this is kind of random but uh any advice on five eighths versus half inch thick uh rock
1: Oh, uh, that's all personal preference yeah. um We've done some, it's usually the higher end homes. They want all five-eighths, ceilings and lids. Uh, five-eighths can also help with some wavy ceilings because uh, it's got it's got that thicker bore to it. And then it also is a lot heavier and stronger. So keep that in mind too when you're, that's another bid thing. If you're bidding um, and you have contractors, make sure you're specifying five-eighths, half-inch, or they know what's going on because five-eighths is way more, difficult to hang than half inch because it's so much heavier for sure but the fire resistance with five eights is i believe it's an hour and a half i have to check my notes but typical half inch is 45 minutes mm-hmm. and then five eights which is x because it's extra special um i, I believe that's, that's legit what it means it, <laughs> it's it means really extra for extra, extra. yeah that's it that's all it means <laughs> the, the five eight x means mm, extra extra fire been... rating yeah. So, I, lo- I like um, five
0: eights. I try and go for it yeah. on all my projects. I feel like it leads to a, a more quiet house. Uh, Definitely. It, it even actually from a kind of a nerdy building science perspective, it gives you a little bit more thermal uh, mass mm-hmm. in mm-hmm. the house. You yeah. know, it'd be like that uh, installing a brick floor in a house that once that brick gets the temperature, it has a hard time moving like an adobe house that, uh, you know, that we built for years in the southwest. Those houses, even though they're in a hot sun, because there was so much mass, they had a hard time heating up. And that's true even with our walls, right? An outside wall that's got five-eighths versus half-inch, there's more mass. Once it gets cold in the summertime with the air conditioner, it's going to have a hard time or a harder time heating up than that thinner uh, material. So over the years, I've always kind of thought it was a few hundred dollars more per house for five-eighths versus half. I don't know if that's still true in today's prices necessarily.
1: I think so. It's really not that much more. I think it's usually typically more on the installers just because it's heavier, a little bit harder to install. And if you have some big cathedral ceilings, getting Mm. a hundred pound board up there can be a little tricky sometimes on those guys' ends. So they will um, adjust depending on what size sheetrock or what size drywall is going in the job.
0: Yeah, and ultimately they should charge you more as a builder or Mm -hmm. you as a a, uh, contractor subbing them out. Uh, yeah. And that's totally legitimate because they're they're working harder on their bodies too by hauling up that yeah. those extra several hundred or maybe even several thousand pounds onto the wall or ceilings. That's a yeah. legitimate charge. It's worth paying more though in my book for that. I think yeah, d- yeah five is pretty
1: pretty strong. It's, it's pretty amazing.
0: It's pretty amazing. Lydia, we, uh, I need to let you uh, get back to your workday, and you probably have uh, a crew coming home from school if you're like me here pretty soon at, the, at this hour. Um, let's switch gears for, for the last few minutes, and let's talk about yeah. the exciting announcement we made this week, which is uh, adding you to the Build Show Network. Uh, for those of you on the podcast uh, who, who didn't catch that earlier, uh, Lydia is the newest member of the Build Show Network. Uh, now we've expanded our team. We're up to almost 10 people now on Build Show Network. And, um, and so Lydia, I'm really excited for you uh, to have that weekly format to be able to talk to um, that Build Show Network audience, which is an interesting audience. You know, we've got builders uh, watching. We've got high schoolers watching. I, I uh, was just at the JLC live show in Rhode Island, uh, which is an incredible show because usually on Friday, uh, school lets out. Uh, or they let the the trade school kids out. And I get to talk to lots and lots of high school kids that are in trade programs around that Providence, Rhode Island area. And it's so fun to get recognized by them and say, oh, Matt, it's really fun to meet you. My shop teacher, my uh, carpentry uh, teacher, you know, whatever trade school I'm in, my teacher shows your videos as part of our class. Uh, And that's how I found you. And so it's really fun for me to encourage that next generation of builder and tradesmen. And I'm excited to have you on board for that too, Lydia. Um, Cause now we've got several other tradesmen besides you and tradeswomen uh, talking about their craft, how they got into it. And even jumping into the nitty gritty of the day to day, how do I do this better? And you clearly, I've been following you on in Instagram for a long time. Now, you clearly have an educator's heart uh, <laughs> and uh, and it's, Uh, It's really obvious by watching you on Instagram that you're good at teaching people uh, and that you really care about your craft and about making sure that um, the things that you've learned now as a second generation contractor are getting passed down to uh, those people that didn't have a dad mentor uh, in the business. So tell us for a minute about some of the things that you'll be covering on your weekly weekly videos here at BuildShowNetwork.com.
1: Definitely. Um, I feel with the, the microphone and the the opportunities that I've been given, it's really important for me to shine a light on how important drywall is. I think it's really a underappreciated trade and people kind of see drywallers as like dirty, gross. Um, you know, they're kind of like the, the, the ones on the drop site <laughs> when it like, it's not. It's very, it's a very rewarding job. You mm-hmm. get to go every day and create with your hands. And if you stick with it, you can make really good money. And I think that's something that's kind of overlooked at the trades too is, well, you're just doing that because you can make it in school. Well, not really because, you know, you're not having the college debt. You're going right from high school, right into a career. And right. there's so many opportunities and there's, man, I mean, our field right now, I think is there's 2% of women in the trades on the site. Wow. Which is so low, so low. So low. So there needs to be some major changes and some attitudes that need to change. And just, I think the industry in a whole needs to start looking at how can we start bringing people in and training them instead of just thinking that they're stupid and that they should automatically pick things up in a minute, like a little grace, a little understanding, um, having the ability to walk on a site and ask questions and not have people think that that's like, Oh, well, they don't know anything because they asked that question. Um, you know, just kind cool. of changing the attitude and the perspective.
2: Yeah. Uh, let's, let's
1: all Ryan just got home. Let's, let's all learn together and make things better and produce a better product Love it. together. Um, you know, and just education, just all over the map. Because uh, honestly, trade's kind of been like secretive, it mm-hmm. seems like. And that, I think that's the coolest thing about social media is it started to open the doors, um, kind of show behind-the-scenes stuff. Because, yeah. you know, you you buy a house. That's your biggest purchase of your life.
0: That's right. And,
1: and, and people yeah.
0: have no idea how your trade happens. It's no like idea. one day it yeah. studs and the next day it's a painted wall. <laughs> they have yeah. zero yeah, exactly. clue how it happens.
1: I think it's just super cool Everything, like just taking the lid off of the trades and and really making it a, a great career choice for a lot of people. And there's a lot of flexibility in it. There's the ability to learn and to really grow. And you can never stop learning with the trades, which I think people think once they know it, they know it all. But having that mindset, you're just, you know, you're making yourself stop
2: hundred so
0: percent
1: always learning and growing it's really important
0: it's one of the things i love about our industry you know i'm, I'm turning 50 here in another uh another year i'm turning 49 actually a couple of weeks and so i've been doing this wow happy birthday thank you all okay. coming up on 30 years and i swear every year i'm like gosh i knew nothing five years ago i've learned so <laughs> much uh, about how to build a better house Uh, And my, you know, my job is I've always kind of think of my job, Lydia, as the uh, symphony conductor uh, Mm -hmm. where, you know, I'm directing the symphony and I'm talking to this person and talking to that person. You're the first uh, chair violinist who's the master (laughs) violinist who makes my walls go from studs like I have over here. uh, Now, this happens to be stucco, but to a beautiful, smooth wall Uh, Or maybe all kinds of other things as well, whether that's plaster or whether that's uh, some of the really cool stuff that I've seen you do with some of the trimtex beads. It's really an incredible trade and an incredible craft, and you get to be part artist, part business person. Uh, And I also love that you're gonna, your videos are gonna help encourage, and see it as more and more normal to see women in our business. Uh, You know, I've worked with a half dozen or so. Uh, builders over the years that that I was either a fellow project manager with, or I I just have one uh, of my project managers now who's a woman. And consistently over the years, the females that I've worked with as as builders have always been some of the best builders I've ever worked with. Uh, And so I'm hoping that uh, you on the Build Show Network and your videos will encourage people like my daughter, uh, who will see more and more women in the business, not just, oh, this is dad's job, But this could be my job i'd love for my for my daughter to get into the business uh and take over my job as the head builder at reisinger build someday that would be so awesome awesome. That would be so
1: cool and she's
0: she's interested um but i'm loving to see more and more women faces out there like yours so thank you uh for shooting those videos and i don't know what day you're going to be published quite yet do you know that already off top of your head uh Uh, I think on, it's
1: September 7th.
0: September 7th is your go date when we announce you. But once once a week, oh, every week. Monday. Uh, on Mondays, there we go, Lydia's going to have a brand new video. And for those of you listening or watching to this podcast, there's, there'll be a link in the description somewhere probably below where you're watching right now that you can sign up for our newsletter. Every Friday at 9 a.m., we send out a newsletter that's here's all the new stuff that's on our site. And in the past, there was only five or six new videos a week. Uh, Starting in September, it'll start being 10 new videos every single week uh, from job sites around the country, including Bozeman, Montana, with our friend Drywall Shorty. Uh, So sign up for that newsletter so that you can get the link to Lydia's uh, videos and see a description of that. And I also, every Thursday, watch all the new videos from that week, and I publish uh, a real short video. Hey, here's what's new. Here's what Brent shot on his job site, and I'll be adding then. Here's what Lydia shot on her job sites. Uh, and kind of giving you a quick wrap up on what's new this week. So with that being said, guys, in the meantime, though, go follow Lydia on Instagram. It's at drywall shorty. Is there a dot or a dash in there, Lydia? I can't remember.
1: Nope. Just all one thing.
0: All one word. Drywall shorty. Uh, and uh, and she's publishing nearly every day on both her stories and her feed. And I got to say, I've been following you probably for about a year now. Your feed is really, really fun. <laughs> Uh, I love being able to see you all dressed up like you are now and a face full of mud, uh, on other days. It's one of the things I love about my job too. Uh, you know, some days I come home a dirty mess and other days, uh, I have to put the, uh, put the nice clothes on to meet with a client. It's really, Um, really fun to to do a little bit of everything, isn't it?
1: It is. And I think it helps people, um, realize like you don't always have to be in construction mode. You can clean up and be that nice looking person too or you can be dirty on the site it's fun it's you kind of have like a dual personality
2: i love thing it going on i love
0: <laughs> it and and the fact that we're not constrained to an office or a cubicle somewhere yeah. i would have oh, uh, i would favorite. have died in a career like that i would have not enjoyed that that would have been terrible and it's
1: inspiring you know you get in these houses and you find all sorts of cool stuff or you kind of can I'm the one that's I'm like, oh, wow, look, they're going to do that there. But that's their <laughs> living room. Or like It's fun. It's, it's always different. It's always changing.
0: Uh, it's such a great business. Lydia, yeah, big thanks for taking some time out for me uh, from Bozeman, Montana, at your house. Guys, follow Lydia on Instagram. And if you're not currently a subscriber here to the Build Show podcast, hit that subscribe button. We're on all the major podcasting platforms. And, of course, we publish the video version of this. If you're interested in watching the video version of this, if you're listening now, over at buildshownetwork.com, where Lydia is going to be publishing every single Monday. So, Lydia, you want to sign us off? Do you know what my signature sign-off is, Lydia?
1: No, I don't think so.
0: You don't know on the Build Show and my big nerdy, on the Build Show. You don't know that one? I know. I'll do it for yeah. you.
1: Yeah, what do you do at the I'll end? do it for you. I so know. I say,
0: follow me on Twitter or Instagram. Otherwise, we'll see you next time on the Build Show <laughs> podcast. <laughs> pretty nerdy i know but that's my thing i've been doing it for like 10 years now on youtube i can't i can't help it lydia
1: i was gonna say i know i like yeah
0: yeah (laughs) have a good night talk to y'all later bye
1: (laughs) thanks